What's going on, True Transformation? It's your host, Josiah Novak, author of Diet Suck, host of the True Transformation podcast, and owner of the TrueTransformation.com. Today's show, I have rapper Zuby as our guest. If you don't know who Zuby is, well, you're about to find out. This guy is blowing up around the world. He is a rap artist, author, podcaster, man of many talents, and one of the most well-spoken and insightful individuals I have ever had on the show. And I must say, this is one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done, simply because of where the conversation goes, the topics we discuss, and how insightful Zuby is around some very, very controversial topics that, to be honest, we need to talk more about. This is a health and fitness-based podcast, but as I talk about all the time, Health and fitness for our physical body is just part of the equation. We need to make sure we're exercising our minds. We need to make sure we're thinking through the issues that we see in today's world and that we're giving our brains an opportunity to expand and grow just as much as we do our bodies. Zuby is a prime example of that. This guy is not only an intelligent human being, but he's a talented human being and he's a hardworking person who puts effort and thought into his music into the projects he puts together. And I think you're going to be a fan after you listen to the show today. Before you jump into the show, I want to make sure you check out our free guide on how to improve your body, how to look good naked. If you go over to lookgoodnaked.co, you can check out our guide. It's a free blueprint on how I put together programs for our clients who want to lose body fat, build more muscle definition, improve their energy, and just feel better about how they look and feel. It's a free guide just for you, so go over to lookgoodnaked.co. Just a reminder before we kick off the interview with Zuby, be sure to follow Zuby on Twitter, at Music and connect with him online, zubimusic.com, teamzuby.com. If you're not connected with me on Twitter, be sure to connect there at Josiah Fitness on Twitter and all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Go check out Josiah Fitness on social media. All right, buckle up. We have an incredible interview today. If you haven't left us a rating and review after the show, if you love it, if you're a fan of what we're putting out, go on over to iTunes, subscribe to the show, leave us a rating and review. It helps tremendously with getting the podcast out to more listeners so that they can get introduced to amazing people like Zuby. Sit back, relax. Time to buckle up. I introduce to you the humble, insightful, wise, and entertaining as hell, Zuby. Welcome to the True Transformation Podcast with your host, me, Josiah Novak. Welcome to the podcast. Here's my daddy, Josiah Novak. Zuby, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, bro. How are you? I, I cannot complain. It's an honor to have you here, man. You're a, a man of, or I, I'm, I'm going to be careful with saying man, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'll identify as a man for this interview to make it easy. Oh, okay. That's cool. Because I'm, I'm going to identify as one too. So it'll just be two guys having a chat. Uh, but yeah, I'm honored that you're here. <laughs> I <don't>, yeah, <laughs> I know. We, we live in crazy times. I uh, actually was watching your latest YouTube video, I believe, on a very delicate topic, which I do want to cover as we, as we get into our conversation, but the mass shootings that have occurred recently. We just live in such a crazy time, man, and you're somebody who has got a lot of talent in different areas, but you're, you're not afraid to at least talk about or, or at least express yourself 
and not try to filter or, you know, cookie or I guess not cookie cutter, but you're not trying to uh, sugarcoat anything, which is awesome, man. Yeah. Where did this whole Zuby story begin? Okay. So, um, I was born in the UK when I was one year old, my family moved out to Saudi Arabia. So I went to school there. I went to preschool there, elementary. After elementary, I came back to the UK for boarding school. So I was in boarding school in the UK for seven years from the age of 11 all the way until I was 17. I did really well in my school and my exams got accepted to Oxford University to study computer science. I went there, studied, graduated when I was 20. Um, and that's where I fell in love with music. That's where I started rapping. That's where I started making music. I released my first album when I was 19, when I was in my second year of university. And then after I graduated, I moved, worked to the, in the corporate world in London for about three years. I was a management consultant. I was doing my music stuff on the side, doing gigs here and there, putting out uh, new songs here and there. And both careers got to a level where they started to compete with each other a little bit. So... I had to make a decision. And in 2011, I made the decision to leave my full-time job after getting a promotion. I left like a month after getting promoted. And I went to go and do my music full-time, which was um, a crazy decision to some people, but um, an unsurprising one to others. Sure. What, what made you fall in love with music? Because I mean, your background is highly interesting, like Saudi Arabia, the UK. You don't have a UK accent, by the way. <laughs> no, no, I, it's because it's from growing up in Saudi. Mm, so I grew up, um, yeah, most of my teachers were American. Lots of my friends and people I associated with were American. And um, I'm someone who's very hard to influence. So even though like my, my siblings also grew up in Saudi Arabia and they all also had American accents, but I'm the only one who still got it because I specifically wanted to keep it. So I made sure I didn't lose it. And yeah, and it's not, it's not conscious now, um, but it's just there. I was going to say, I hope you're not 21 Savage who pretended not to be from the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was interesting, man. That was weird. Yeah, I was like, wow, he didn't seem like he's from the UK. But yeah, I mean, I, my wife actually, it's funny, she's from Germany. Uh, she's she's uh, Afghan, but she grew up in Germany. But all of her teachers were from the UK. And so okay. when she came over here, she had a very like thick you know, British accent. Mm -hmm. um, but she's Afghan. So it's just, it's... We live in a melting pot. You know, my two boys now are Irish, Afghan, and a little bit of Spanish mixed in. And so it's, it's like there's pretty soon, I guess, 20, maybe 50 years from now, it'll be just a lot of mixed people, which is really cool. Yeah, man. You know, we're, <laughs> people like to talk about race and stuff. We're, we're all the human race, ultimately. Um, we're all one race, right? Yeah, we were, we're all one race. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing that you could actually argue to some degree is a social construct, not like uh, some of the other things that people say. So I've been over that. I've been over the racial stuff since I was like one. I've never cared about it. It's one of those things that people try to drag me into certain conversations. I, I would happily never use the word race, the word white, the word black. Like I, I, in those senses, I would quite happily never use those words ever again if everybody else kind of like agreed not to. The only reason like those even get used for me is just because that's just what society knows and that's what people kind of, understand i'm just like i don't care when people, <laughs> oh well how do you as a black man i'm like i just don't it mm. i just don't care i'm over it i i never cared about it i grew up surrounded by everybody and I'm, I'm still surrounded by everybody i've got people of different races in my in my own family i just don't care right i i like good people kind people i don't i'm not looking at you and 
seeing a white male, I'm just like, it's just, it's just a conversation. Like people get, um, I don't know, we, we live in weird times where it seems like we'd, um, I felt like we'd kind of gotten away from all that for, for um, a good sort of 20 years of my life. And it, it's, it's weird in the past sort of three or four years, it seems like people are getting really obsessed with it again. Not everybody, 100%. not everybody, but some people it's, you know, it's all, everything's becoming racialized again. And I'm like, why, how's this supposed to be progress? This isn't a move forward. This is a move backward. So uh, I just do my thing, man. Like let other people can run themselves around that all they, all they want. Yeah. It's a waste of energy in my eyes too. I think we're cut from the same cloth. I think my parents, because race was never a thing. It was never a topic of discussion in our house. Yeah. It doesn't um, matter. Yeah. It just wasn't a, t- a thing we spent energy on. We, we had, you know, more important things going on. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I had friends from all backgrounds and, and to this day, my best friends are, uh, are I guess you could call it a rainbow of, of colors, but <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I don't look at any of my friends and categorize them based off their race. No, um, it's like, it's like you see it visually and it's like, Oh cool. People look different. That's cool. hundred percent. Right? That's interesting. You said your wife is Afghan. I'm sure one of the things that attracted you to her was probably, Oh, she looks, she looks kind of different. She looks, you know, and it's like, yeah, okay. Right. 100%. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just like, okay, cool. It's there, but it's like, okay, some people are tall, some people are shorter, some people have blue eyes, some people have brown eyes, some people have green eyes. It's like, okay, cool. Some people, people just look different. Absolutely. And, and nothing opens your eyes to that more, at least in my opinion, from when you have kids from a mixed cultural mm-hmm. background relationship, right? Because my kids are just such like melting pots, right? There's so many different aspects to how they look, how they interact that are pieces of me, pieces of her, pieces of her family. It's crazy, man. It's wild. Yeah. So growing up, I want to get back to your music. Were you in a, like a, a musical family or, or like, where did your love of music transpire from? Where did that come from? So um, when I was a kid, I used to play piano. One great thing that my parents did is they always tried to expose us to a lot of things and give us different opportunities, even if we weren't always interested in them to begin with or didn't necessarily carry them on. So there's so many different sports that I've played over my life. But one thing that um, I did do was play piano probably from, I think I started lessons when I was about maybe six or seven. Mm. So I started, I started playing piano as a kid. I did some concerts and recitals and things like that. I was, I was decent. I wasn't, you know, like world-class or anything like that, but I was, I was pretty decent at piano. When I was uh, 10 or 11 years old in school, I played the trombone in the school band for a little while. And then when I went to boarding school at around the age of 13, I stopped playing piano and I stopped playing any instruments just because it wasn't a super strong passion. I got interested in other things and I just wasn't really, I was listening to music. Uh, that's when I kind of fell in love with hip hop, but um, I wasn't playing any instrument myself. It wasn't until I was 18 years old when I was back in university that I started making mu- m- making my own music when I started rapping. And yeah, ever since then, it's just been uh, something I'm really passionate about, something I enjoy, whether it's being in the studio or it's writing a song or it's being on stage and performing live at a concert or a festival or something like that. Um, It's just wonderful. Um, I like having a positive inspiration on people. I like having an impact on people through my words, through my actions, through my beliefs, through, through everything I do. It's why I use my platform in the way that I do it. So music is something that naturally you know, leans into that. And yeah, I just, I just enjoy doing it. So it's good that I can make a living doing the things that I enjoy. 
I was going to ask you about the hip hop scene in the UK because over here in the States, I mean, as you're well aware, uh, hip hop music, at least in my eyes, has steadily gotten worse. <laughs> <laughs> now, not to say it's not creative. I think there's amazing creativity behind the music, what, what it takes to create music that sounds good, that gets people moving, that gets people excited. Um, but it just seems like the quality of the message in the music is what has deteriorated. I don't know mm. if you agree with that or not, but I'm curious to hear like what the hip hop scene was like for you growing up because being in the UK and Saudi Arabia, I'm assuming there must be some differences than, you know, maybe someone who grew up here, mm. uh, like in Atlanta or California where there's, you know, big hip hop movements. Mm-hmm. What was that like when, what, what kind of influence did that you know, area have on your music? To be honest, not that much because I was mostly just listening to American hip hop. Hmm. So I was just, all the stuff I was listening to is probably pretty similar to whatever you would have been listening to. In the past couple of years, the British hip hop scene and rap scene and grime scene has kind of come into its own light a lot more. It's getting a lot more mainstream attention and success. And, you know, for, for a long time in the, in the UK, a lot of rappers were not actually allowed to tour. So they had these weird rules that were put in by the government and certain, certain councils that made it very, very difficult for rappers and artists of that genre to actually tour and do shows and things like that. So I think that's something that naturally kept a lid on it. Plus, I think people just weren't ready yet. People weren't accustomed to it. The you know When people first in the UK started rapping, a lot of people were trying to sound American or put on false American accents. People weren't really rapping in their real accents, which is something that uh, to this day, I still get accused of because a lot of people <laughs> don't understand my background. So I still to this day constantly get people like, oh, why is he trying to sound American? And it's like, dude, I've been doing this for 12 years. If you <laughs> still, how many times do I need to tell the story kind of thing? But um, obviously I, I talk the same way that I rap. I don't, I don't put on any accent. If, I, if I've been putting on an accent for the past 30 years, <laughs> That's, that's quite a feat, but um, I can assure everybody this is, this is my real voice. This is just how I talk. So, um, yeah, so, th- so things have come up a lot in the UK. In terms of the scene, I don't really feel like I'm part of a scene in any regard. I've always been very independent, both in the music world and outside of it. I just kind of do my own thing and plug into various scenes here and there when I need to. But because I didn't grow up in the UK, I didn't grow up in London amongst, you know, within the grime scene or anything like that. So I'm not really a part of that. I listen to some of it. Um, There might be some very light associations to it, but it's not something I'm directly connected to just in the same way. I'm not really directly connected to the New York rap scene or the Californian one or whatever. And I guess that has its pros and its cons. It means I just kind of do my own thing and I just kind of float around and I've got fans in the U S I've got fans in the UK. I've got fans in Europe. I've just, I just have my own sound and I just do what I do. I don't really, um, I can take inspiration from other people, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, your sound is definitely unique. Who are some of like your favorite rappers? Cause I don't, I don't know if we're close to the same age. I'm in my mid thirties. So growing up for me, it was kind of the tail end of like the biggie era, uh, a little bit of Tupac kind of sprinkled in mm-hmm. a lot of like, P. Diddy, 50 cent was kind of big when I was yeah. in my you know high school years. Big is an some- understatement. Yeah, exactly. 50, 50 was a hurricane, man. Oh, he was, he, he was like a, a nuclear bomb. That was, that was a bomb. Dude. <laughs> that album, geez, that was, that was world changing. Yeah, um, incredible. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think I'm probably a couple of years younger. So very similar, big overlap there. In terms of my favorite rappers, um, Tech 9 Jay-Z, Nas, Tupac. Um, those are some of my favorites. Uh, I was a big fan of Mob Deep. Um, 
and, and loads more though. I, I could I could reel off tons and tons of different artists. Um, LL Cool J, mm. like Ti, Ludacris, The Game, like yeah, Fifty Cent, I, Eminem, dude, a lot of people, a lot of people. Like I could literally give you a list of my seventy favorite rappers because trying to do just <laughs> seven or ten is always going to be difficult. Yeah, no, hip hop growing up for me was, uh, it was like the corner, I, I don't want to say cornerstone, but it was definitely made up the majority of the foundation when I listened to music, right? It was, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, being an athlete, it was like, it would get you hyped, it would, it would get you in the right state of mind. But I just, I, I have this like nostalgia whenever 90s rap comes on. Um, and I just think maybe it's, maybe just because all the good experiences I had that was, were associated with that music. Um, mm-hmm. But today it's just, I feel like, and I, I want to know, what kind of messaging or what kind of influence do you want to have with your music? Like who, how do you want to inspire people or what, what do you want people to feel when they listen to your music? I want people to feel inspired and motivated and to know that they can be authentic and they can be themselves and they can overcome obstacles and they can reach their goals. All of those are general themes I try to put out there in my music. So my music is extremely authentic to myself. All right. I've got a certain background. I didn't grow up in the hood. I'm not from the ghetto. I don't, I've never insinuated. I am. I've never rapped about selling drugs. I don't rap about taking drugs cause I don't take them. I don't even rap about drinking cause I don't drink. I don't swear in my music cause I don't swear in real life. My music is hundred percent authentic to me. And I want other people to know that, you know, it's okay to be authentic. People always talk about, yeah, keep it real, keep it real. But very few people truly, keep it real and are authentic to themselves without trying to put on some kind of front or some kind of image, especially in the world of music. So I want my listeners to feel that same way. With every album, I want to capture a little bit of a snapshot of where I am at that point in my life so that you can go back and listen to the album I made 10 years ago and you'll get an idea of where I was then and where my head was at and what my aspirations were. And then if you listen to something more recent, you get a sense of that progression both just in terms of my mentality and my worldview and also my experience and my success as I've achieved certain things. So I just want it to be a continuous story. And I hope that by putting that out there, other people can feel motivated and inspired to go along on their own journey and to know it's okay to go for what they want, set goals, achieve them. Uh, Don't be afraid to go against the grain. Don't be afraid to speak up, be authentic. Um, in, in whatever regard or capacity that is, you know, everyone's from a different walk of life, but I'd like to think that regardless of where people are from or what their experiences are, they can hopefully take away something positive. I just feel there's so much negativity out there. Um, especially in hip hop, man, you know, there's so much negativity. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of negative messaging that people are constantly listening to. I mean, I listen to a lot of it myself, Mm. right? Um, and sometimes I question why I do. I'm not going to lie, right? And, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, man, uh, this, this beat is dope. This flow is dope. It would kind of be nice if they weren't talking so much ignorance. <laughs> but um, you, you, you know what I mean? But um, fortunately, Absolutely. just because of the way I am, I'm not someone who's easily influenced by that. I mean, a lot. Of, yeah, I get people who are shocked that uh, I've been listening to hip hop consistently for the past almost 20 years. And I don't even cuss. Mm. yeah I, I have a cussing problem i, I need to stop listening <laughs> to hip-hop no like i'll get people about oh dude how could you listen to what you listen to and it doesn't it doesn't affect you it doesn't even you know uh, use these words i'm just like man you know i don't listen to it because of that i kind of listen mm. to it more despite that uh sure I, yeah 
Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, listening to hip hop recently, I've started to, I guess for a while, I, I was kind of tuning out the lyrics and it was just the beat and kind of the vibe of the music that I was enjoying. But after I had children and I'd be in the car with them and some of these songs would come on and I'd start listening to how they would talk about women or how they talk about violence and yeah. drugs. And I just thought, where, where do we draw the line? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, because some of these things are just outright, I mean, it's basically watching hardcore porn <laughs> but you're just listening to a rap song you know what yeah, i mean like they're describing yeah. things that are happening and you're like like i i'm cool with some of these sexual things you're ta- you're doing right like i'm like me and my wife we get down like that right that's yeah. cool but do i want my kids being influenced by that every day right yeah, like exactly. just repetition repetition violence porn drugs alcohol right and that's like man but i guess I'm, it's kind of weird though because with today's world where, you know, you've been at the forefront of something like gender, right? Gender is such a hot topic and, and women and, and not having a gender or equal rights and all these things have just kind of boiled to the surface again. Mm-hmm. Hip hop really hasn't come under fire, at least in my eyes. It, it hasn't taken what would, you would think with all the sensitivity out there around these things that hip hop would be something that gets just attacked every day. But it just doesn't seem like that's the case. No, they tried it in the late 90s, didn't they? In the, yeah. In the, in the 90s was really when they came after hip-hop and metal. I remember oh, yeah. that. I remember that era pretty well, um, especially you guys like Eminem and Marilyn Manson. I remember when they were getting picketed and certain radios were boycotting their songs and stuff like that. I mean, very unsuccessfully, if anything, that made their fan bases bigger because you sure. get that sort of Streisand effect. Um, so... Yeah, sorry, I've lost slight track of what the question there was. No, I'm just curious to know, like, what, because obviously one of the, I, I know the reason why I even stumbled across you mm. um, was the the deadlift record that you broke, right? Okay, okay, yeah. And it's a gender, you know, it's, it brings about the discussion around gender, right? Or, or not having a gender at all, um, or choosing your gender, or just mm-hmm. deciding I, uh, you know, I associate or I'm, I'm identifying as a female right now or mm-hmm. whatever, right? And I have my own thoughts on it, but you proved a point in a rather humorous way, right? <laughs> um, but it, it proved the point and it, and it brought discussion to another level. Mm. But as a hip-hop artist and someone who is kind of going at hip-hop with a little bit different uh, approach than what is the standard today with just talking about, you know, how many bitches you have and how many drugs you've sold and how many people you've killed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like hip-hop is under that much of an attack in, regard, in comparison to like the and i'll say white male but it is kind of the the white male attack right the 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 chivalry type of act that guys have done so many years are now considered to be sexist right or, or benevolent benevolent sexist. exactly yes so what are your thoughts on hip-hop and why it hasn't i guess at least in my eyes taken that much of an attack uh at least just with the the environment that we're in now politically and whatnot I would actually say some of it. Finally, that's a good question because it's not something I've really considered. If I were to put my own hypothesis out there, I would say that part of it is from the own ideology's sort of rules, as in, you know, black people are a protected class and most rappers are black and hip hop is known as a black music genre. So I think they would die on their own sword quite quickly if people could spin that into, hey, you're being racist by attacking these black artists and this mm-hmm. black form of music, like go away. 
Um, so I think people would touch that with kid gloves. So I think part of that is the whole logic of this whole sort of intersectional ideology or whatever somebody wants to call it means that they could go, I don't know, they could go hard after country music or they could go hard after Americana or maybe certain kinds of rock or something if they had certain themes in them. But um, I think hip hop is maybe protected a little bit in that regard, basically due to the sure. color of the, the, the skin of the artists. Um, I do also think another part is just by the, by the nature of hip hop itself is hip hop is supposed to be somewhat countercultural and it's supposed to be defiant and it's, it's uber masculine for the most part. Right. Um, we were already talking about some of the themes that these rappers talk about, you know, with well over 90% of rappers being, being dudes. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of it is hyper masculinity. It's, you know, who's the toughest, who's the strongest, who's the baddest, who's the, who's the bravest, who's, you know, some of that might manifest in ways which aren't the best or the most positive ways in my personal opinion. But, um, I think that sort of hyper masculinity has also always given it a little bit of a a little bit of a protective bubble because if people don't care to cow to political correctness or or certain rules then it's kind of hard to police them right the people who are susceptible are the people who would care or feel ashamed of the attacks right so people tend to go after somewhat weak targets so if you've already got somebody who's a somewhat part of this ideology or is quite tolerant of it or whatever, they're going to be the first ones to kind of get, get, get their heads taken because they're susceptible to the own rule book. If you see what I mean, right? Yeah. Absolutely. They may say something and someone will come for them. The mob, their own friends, their own mob will come, will come for them saying, Hey, what you did here wasn't right. Or it was, it was this, or it was that. Whereas if you go after people who don't really, fit into that mold they'll just be like whatever you know it's, mm. it won't it won't affect them their audience won't care their fans won't care like and so the tactics kind of just don't work so i think for those two reasons i think that hip-hop's been somewhat protected in this uh overtly politically correct sort of climate yeah it's it's an interesting situation for sure uh it's very in my eyes oftentimes hypocritical um mm -hmm. but there's just a lot of i mean first of all i think if we if we flash back to when we were growing up right we didn't have twitter we didn't have facebook and instagram and this access and this constant highlight and information reel just over and over again giving everybody a voice giving everybody a a soapbox to stand on we didn't have that back then and I, and I don't know what would have occurred had we had that type of environment. There would have probably been a lot more backlash on certain things or at least would have given me, people more of a voice. Um, but with today's environment and with everybody having an opinion, everybody talking about all sorts of different things, especially some of the big topics like gun control, right, being mm -hmm. one of the big ones, uh, mm -hmm. hip-hop notorious for violence, right, notorious for big-name rappers getting killed from mm -hmm. guns. Um, I want to, first of all, I want to know what is your take? Cause I was starting to watch some of your latest YouTube video on the mass shootings that occurred, but being someone who is almost like a, uh, I mean, you are an influential figure. You're someone who does influence people every day with your music, with your art, uh, with your message. What it, it's hard for me to kind of wrap my head around this situation we're in. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
in regards to guns and gun control and violence because violence has always been a thing man right yep. like it's yep. whether it's the sword or the gun it's always been a thing mm-hmm. where do you stand on this issue man like where 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 is your where's your thought process right now on this wow um, well, I did try to articulate this in a 30 minute YouTube video that I just put out <laughs> literally today. We kind of, we can try to shrink it down to 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's complex. Firstly, you, you were bang on, on talking about how violence has always existed and will always exist because human beings have a capacity for violence and we should, right? Because that's something that's key to our survival. You're a father. If somebody attacks your wife, if somebody attacks your children, you need to be capable of violence, right? You're not going to just sit there and twiddle your fingers and, <laughs> and watch them get hurt, right? You know, Correct. other people are capable of violence. So everybody else needs to be. That's just a basic thing of survival. Um, and also, we are all capable of good and evil, okay? It's, it's easy to think that there are just good guys and bad guys in the world. And sometimes it appears that way because you see people do bad things and oftentimes the same bad guy will do a lot of bad things. But if we're honest with ourselves, this is something I, I mentioned in the video, if we're, if we're totally honest with ourselves, we all know that we've all done good and bad things in our lives and, and will continue to do so. You know, most of us, we haven't done anything totally heinous, right? Or something you know, that's really, really hurt somebody, let alone killed somebody or something like that. But um. I think if people are really deeply honest, then they can understand what they are potentially capable of doing. And we all know we have got that evil. Um, there's a quote I put in that video from Alexander Solzhenitsyn where he said, um, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every, of every man. So that means that, and uh, then it follows with something like, and who would want to lose, who would want to lose a part of their soul, their soul or a part of their heart or something like that. So mm. that's, um, so that's just kind of the reality of it. And it's, uh, you can look in history, you can look across the world. There's always been violence. There's always been evil. There have always been different levels of atrocity. Sometimes it quietens down. Sometimes it ramps up. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse, but um, that's just something that exists. So I think as a society, I mean, to me, this is very, it's a very deep existential question. So many people are focused on the political aspects of it and the gun control aspects and the weapon and, ooh, how many, how many bullets can that certain gun hold or how many people can this kill in this much time? How many, how, what's the rate of fire? What, and, and to me, people are kind of getting bogged down in, as people often do, people are getting bogged down in little details and emotion and partisan politics and stuff and are in the process somewhat missing a lot of the overarching points. Um, so there are a bunch of different aspects of it. One of them, obviously, that a lot of people do talk about is mental health. That is a factor. But there are a lot of other factors, I believe, which nobody talks about, which are very important, which are you know much more deeply rooted in society. Okay, I'm talking about the family, family structure. I'm talking about parenthood. I'm talking about parenting. You've got entire generations of young men and young women growing up without fathers, absent fathers, fathers who are incarcerated, fathers who are alcoholics, who are strung out on drugs, or even mothers who are abusive, who are abandoning their children, whatever. So we, we've got this whole culture where you've got not everyone and not even the majority, but you've got a lot of broken people raising broken people. 
and those broken people, a proportion of them are going to go on to break other people in different, in different ways. And so it's very, very deeply rooted. So I think that obviously to, the people to blame individually, of course, are the perpetrators, the people who do these things. But I think we need to look at as a culture, um, the wider spectrum of things, you know, we've just been talking about violence in music, violence in entertainment, violence in movies, violence in video games. Now, do I think that the reason anybody does these things is because they're listening to certain music or playing certain video games? No, I think that's kind of silly. But on a deeper level, in terms of our society, what does it say about our society that we're producing these video games, that we're producing these movies, and that they have an audience in the millions and millions and millions, okay? And we play them, right? This, this might even be somewhat hypocritical. I'm, I'm challenging myself here, right? I've, I've played GTA. I enjoy GTA. I'll, I'll listen to some, some crazy music and whatever, right? And I know I'm not going to go out there and do that stuff, but that in itself sort of touches on what I was saying of we do have that thing within us and it needs to be, it needs to be managed, especially, especially for men, because um, a quote I said in the video is that I do believe that boys and men, for the most part, we're, we're either always building or we're, we're destroying, okay? So if men are not building marriages, families, relationships, buildings, ships, objects, art, music, if we're not building, then we tend to be destroying. I mean, you can, you can see this in the real life. You can see this online. You've got people who are constantly just building on Twitter, right? Building, 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 building. And then you've got people who are just destroying, 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 right? <laughs> Insulting, tearing down. And it, it's, it's fascinating. You know, you'll, you'll put this episode out there. You, some people will use this to build. Some people will listen to this and go, hey, I don't like that guy or I don't like this guy. And they'll, they'll just get negativity. And yeah, it's, um, it's a weird one. So I think having a generation of young men in particular, because realistically it's young men who are doing these acts. Okay. In the UK, it's different. It's people are getting stabbed instead. But again, it's the young male demographic that's doing 90% of it, 95% of it. So when you've got that many disenfranchised guys who don't have a purpose and don't have a meaning, then the results are not going to be good. You know, the results are not going to be good. And you're going to, sometimes it blows up in, in a, in a awful way with a, with a mass shooting or a school shooting or some kind of attack or something random like that. Um, but other times it, it leaks into, to me, you can kind of see the shock waves and the tremors in lots of other different aspects of society, even, something, even something as basic as social media. Okay. I don't want to draw any sort of moral comparison between, someone who writes mean comments on YouTube videos and someone who shoots up at school, right? But it's, it kind of comes from the same part of the soul or the body or the heart. You see what I mean? Absolutely. That same desire for destruction, okay? Because that does nothing positive. Going around on YouTube and writing mean comments and insults to people, that does absolutely nothing productive. All you're doing is going out of your way to intentionally hurt another human being. Mm -hmm. That's literally what it is. And that's the exact same thing that these mass shooters are doing. They're going out of their way to intentionally and purposely hurt another human being. They're just doing it on a, on a totally extreme and lethal level. But to me, it's kind of, it's, that's the same, it's kind of the same side of evil. If you, if you, if you see what I mean, it's the same Absolutely. behavior. And I think that if you had, um, if society could shift back to a more, a better structure, a better, morality that's got some real basis. I mean, I do genuinely believe that the, the loss of religion, the decline of religion is a part of this. Some people will argue with me on that, but I do think that 
in terms of the wider society and our moral structure, I do believe that it, it matters less so for individuals, but sort of society as a, as a whole. Um, so yeah, you've got that. And then there are, there are a bunch of other factors, which other people, you know, talk about more. And, um, but I believe that they all, they all play together. Um, I don't think it's about, people always get obsessed with talking about the weapon, right? People always jump to the weapon in the UK. People jump to, Oh, do we need to make it harder for people to buy knives? Like, we all own knives. Like, anyone can go in their kitchen. We, we're surrounded by lethal objects all day. Absolutely. If you, if you own a car, you own a weapon, you own a, a very serious weapon. And that's been proven okay. over and over again. People have run, you know, of terrorists course. have attacked with vans and cars mm-hmm. times recently. Yeah. And it's more destructive. I mean, having a truck is a more lethal weapon than almost any gun. Sure. Um, it's about the intention. If somebody wants to cause harm, then they will use whatever tools are at their disposal to do it. The tools themselves do not have lives. Now, someone can have a question about what tools should be available to whom and how powerful or whatever they should be. But a tool is a tool. A gun doesn't just, you know, I know 99.9% of gun owners in the U.S. are law abiding and have never murdered anybody. Murder is already illegal. So it's not like their guns are jumping out of their saves and just running down the street and and shooting people. That doesn't happen. A knife doesn't just get out and start stabbing people. Um, Cars don't just drive around on their own and start intentionally hitting people. So to me, it's the focus has to be on the intention, right? You have to go a few steps back before the attack and be like, okay, what is going on? These these two guys who've done this thing in the US recently, the guy in Dayton and the guy in El Paso, let's rewind Hmm. what has gone on in those two young men's lives that led them to that. And I'm sure you'll see if you, if you look at all the guys who have done this, I'm sure you will see very, very strong patterns, right? I would imagine, I would imagine that not many of them are from a a great family with, with loving parents and, you know, who were, who were raised well and treated well generally by their family and society as a whole. Right. I, I don't imagine that, many of them are, are from that background. So, okay, cool. That's, that's a factor. It seems like, mm, okay, broken home. That seems to be a factor. Okay. This seems to be a factor. Okay. That seems to be a factor. And then on top of that, you can put the ideology. So again, people are focusing on the ideology. One of these guys seemed to be an extreme right winger. One of these guys was an extreme left winger. Okay. Everyone's talking about the extreme right guy because of the media bias, but one of them was, you know, I get, it seems like one of them was, I don't even know if they were pro-Trump specifically, but they're trying to obviously draw that sort of parallel. And then the other one clearly said he was a Elizabeth Warren supporter, right? So people are like, oh, let's blame the politician. It's like, no, if someone, if someone runs out tomorrow and commits some crazy act and said, oh, I was inspired by Zuby, then geez, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be horrified. But you can't then pin, right. pin it on me that, mm. I don't know, maybe they heard one of my lyrics and took it completely the wrong way. Sure. And, you know, so to claim they're acting on it or whatever, right? You, you can't blame anybody but the person. And I think that if people want to do evil, they will do evil and they'll use whatever means they, they want to justify it. That could be, that could be a religion, right? That could, lots of evil is done in the name of religion. Um, it, could sure. be, it could be a secular ideology. It could, it could, be, pol- it could be political. It could be, it could be anything, you know? People can look in their manifestos and see, see, read what they believed and whatnot. But um, again, I think that those things are somewhat of red herrings because I don't think that really cuts to the core of the issue. How does someone end up becoming a white supremacist in, in the first place? Like what's, 
what's mm-hmm. going on in their life, what what has happened that's even led them down that path, what what led somebody to go and join ISIS, right? Like what 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 happened prior to that? That's really where we need to be focusing. You bring up some incredible points. I'm over here, like just I agree with a hundred percent of what you said. Um, mm-hmm. I read an article. First of all, I'm a, I'm a God-fearing man, right? Um, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. And I, and I do, I try to, once again, my, you know, it's great that I have a wife who comes from Afghanistan who has a Muslim background um, because religion in itself, um, that is a huge missing link in a lot of people's lives. Not, not so much from a, a standpoint of, hey, you're right or wrong about what you believe in, but just from a moral standpoint, right? Yeah having something to grasp onto and and say, Mm -hmm. this is a guideline for how I'm going to live my life. The other thing that you mentioned, which I I read an article today written by the shooter in Dayton's girlfriend, or I guess ex-girlfriend. She wrote a a medium blog uh, talking about her experience with him. Mm. And uh, there was two points that I thought uh, you, you kind of touched on, but that I think are so important. One of which is uh, the parents. And she wrote one quick, I think it was a five word uh, sentence that said he despised his parents. That was one of the things that she mentioned about him, but nobody's talking about that, right? Nobody's looking at the parents of all these, these people that have gone and done these horrendous things. Mm. Nobody wants to, to talk about that. Right. But I would guess if I'm just throwing a guess out there that there's a 100% chance Mm-hmm. that there is a parenting situation that is not optimal yeah. in those children's lives. There's a mentorship factor that is missing, right? They're being mentored by people. And just like you alluded to earlier in the podcast about how weak groups tend to get targeted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these men or, you know, these, these boys, I guess you, could, you should call them, uh, are being mentored from people who are preying on them, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't have that strong mentorship that they need from their father in a lot of cases, right? I, I would, as a father, I know that there must be uh, some missing pieces in regards to the father uh, in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing that you touched on, um, well, I don't know if you touched on this, but they, uh, you kind of alluded to it, but I think there's just a, uh, I think there's a, there's too many distractions in our lives to where we're not paying attention to warning signs. Mm. Uh, his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend said that there were at least five occasions where she was in fear for what he might do to somebody. Wow. Including physical letters that he wrote to ex-girlfriends saying he wanted to kill them. Wow. And so I guess in my, th- my head, I'm thinking, you know, we live these lives where we're just so worried about keeping up with whoever the fuck we follow. Right. Mm-hmm. That it's like, we, we just, we don't pay attention to the things that we should pay attention to, right? When they're right in front of our faces. And I think a lot of people, when we talk about controlling guns, well, the first thing we need to do is point at ourselves and say, I need to start paying attention, right? To people in my life that I care about, right? I mean, this is his ex-girlfriend, right? Yeah, yeah. She never went to the authorities. She never went to anybody and, and warned anybody about anything. Uh, she said she kept his secrets because she, he suffered from, he was bipolar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once again, mental health, like you said, yeah. um, and, and she was also a sufferer of bipolar disease. And so she felt the need to kind of harbor these secrets. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but look where it, where it ends up. You know, it's, it's insane. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, oftentimes there are, are a lot of warning signs with most of these guys. You'll, after the atrocity happens, you'll hear all the stories come out. I heard, um, 
I may have, maybe it was the El Paso guy. I heard one of them had a kill list. Yep. One of them had a physical kill list and a physical rape list. He had a list of people he wanted to kill and a list of people he wanted to like, like, and people were aware of that. So there were people in there in his school that were aware of that. I mean, if that's not a warning sign, like that's not normal. That is not, that is not remotely normal. Okay. If, if I'm seeing a guy, if I see a guy and he's got a list, he's keeping a list of people he wants to kill. I'm, I'm, I'm sounding some alarm to somebody sure. because that's just not normal behavior. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you're right that people need to just be more, people need to be more vigilant and just see what the, it comes down to really looking at looking out for people, man, you know, looking oh, sure. out for people. I mean, even, even the guys who do this, like it's um, of course it's, it's these incidents create anger and frustration and you want to punish the people who do the thing but again going back to before the fact before these guys became killers how were they being treated Hmm. right so some of these school shooters a lot of their times the reason they do it in school is because they want to get the people who bullied them they want to get the people who were mean to them and whatnot and now obviously the right way to respond to somebody being mean to you is not to attack them, let alone to kill them. But it's just important, again, just talking about the fabric of society as us as, as human beings and trying to live in a good, healthy, life-positive society, you need to just look out for one another. If someone is being viciously bullied or viciously ostracized or is exhibiting some of these symptoms like you talked about of like, okay, this guy's this guy's being weird here. Like I'm worried that he's going to hurt himself or I'm worried he's going to hurt somebody. It's like if somebody is coming across as suicidal, mm. right? You, you, you don't want to let it get to a stage where they're on the edge of a building or they've got a gun in their hand and, and, they're, and they're ready to pull the trigger or jump off. You want to catch them a lot earlier and be like, yo, man, like what's, what's going on? Do you need, you need somebody to talk to? You know, what, what can we do? What, how can we help, right? You can help people. Uh, normally in these cases, it's like you can nip things in the bud. You know, you, you can, you can nip th- these things in the bud starting from the earlier, the better, right? Ideally as a parent, you know, you'll, by the age of, ideally as a parent, by the age of, I don't know, seven or eight, it should almost be impossible for your children to go on and do something like that. Absolutely. But if, if not, then it, it's kind of, it's like a, it's like a snowball, right? It's like a snowball that, that's getting bigger, rolling down a mountain. Okay, so it starts out small and it's easier to stop it when it's small. But once it comes to a head and the person is, I don't know, 18 years old or 20 years old and they've been, they feel like they've gone through hell and they feel like they've tried this and they've tried that and everybody hates them and society hates them and they hate society. And that can manifest in a lot of negative ways. I mean, the more common way for it to manifest is suicide. Absolutely. Right? That's, that's a lot more common. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, it's almost like the same thing. It's just an outward projection. So mm-hmm. instead of just, okay, I'm going to take myself out of the world, it's like, okay, a lot of the times it's, I'm going to take myself out of the world, but I'm, I'm going to take these other people down. I'm going to take as many down with me as I can before I go. And that's the mentality of these people. And it's, it's hard to do because, I mean, even, even this conversation here, like in some ways, I almost feel a little bit hesitant in trying to empathize with these people, right? Because you sure. want to just say, oh, they're just, they're just monsters. They're just evil. I can't understand how people can do it. And I'm here trying to understand 
white people. We're, do. we're trying to get our Mister Rogers on over here, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, we, we are trying to actually understand it, which yeah. in its which in its own way is almost not politically correct. It's like you're not even supposed to try to understand it. You're just supposed to say, "Oh, it, it was white supremacy. Oh, it was uh, it was it was the gun. It was it was this. It was video games. It was it was this. It was that." And it's like, no, you need to really get to the to the heart of these things. It's the exact same thing with I don't know people who. Um, join terrorist organizations and do suicide. But like, you have to understand, like if you actually wanted to solve the problem, it's important to understand like what these people believe, what, even if their belief is completely wrong, sure. right? Their belief may be completely wrong and it is, but it's like, okay, what do they believe that is the precursor to them going and do that, doing that thing. And um, I'm certainly not an expert on it, but it is something that I've spent a decent amount of time just mulling over and thinking about over the years, uh, probably over the last 10 years, just when this has become a thing. Cause it, it's a rising, it's a rising trend. It's, a oh, rising it, trend. it's absolutely a trend. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, in our lifetimes, I think sort of the majority of mass shootings, certainly in the U S that have ever happened, I believe are, you know, in the past 20 to 30 years. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, as a father of two boys, uh, I, I think, one of the big things that we miss is that what we're seeing right now, um, th- this, is a, this is a culmination of many years of hurt and evil uh, and abuse and a lot of different things that have happened to, like you said, broken people. Mm. Uh, and, it's, and this brokenness that is being transferred to this next generation, we're seeing it come out in different forms. I have a sister who's schizophrenic. Um, we come from an alcoholic, uh, abusive household uh, growing up, and I see things that got worse and worse over the years mm. um, that weren't, you know, readily available. Like they weren't uh, visual in front of me when I was a kid. Then I saw her get worse and worse as the years progressed. Um, and I see what what we're seeing now. I don't think is just we we shouldn't have this like instant reaction that it's oh it's it's the it's the problem right now. It it, it could honestly be from hundreds of years ago, right? Or, or from, uh, and I talk about this all the time with um, uh, some friends of mine about slavery and how when slavery became uh, illegal technically, or we moved on from slavery, uh, or at least part of the country tried to move on and then half the country was divided. And we had this whole scenario where slavery was such a big topic. Mm. So many white men lost uh, strong economic standing, right? And because slavery was such a, a basis for a strong, for a strong economy or, or power, right? Mm-hmm. They lost this. And then I, there could be, an, I grew up in, in the South uh, part of Virginia where there's still such a strong or people trying to grasp on to this thought of like white supremacy where like white people are, are better, right? It's silly. It's hilarious, but it, it's not funny in, in a sense that a lot of these kids grow up in these households where there is a, an environment of hate that has been passed down from these generations, right? So we're talking about many, many years of influence that sometimes show up in this, this absolutely disgusting fashion. Yeah. But like you said, it's an exercise that has to be taken to understand because like, just like fitness and we, we haven't even talked about fitness, but (laughs) this is technically a fitness podcast. As you can tell, it's all about fitness. Right. Um, but you know, as people would ask me like, Hey, how did you, you know, how did you add 50 pounds of muscle? Right? Like, how did you do that? Hmm. I said, well, it's, it's 20 plus years of, of training. Right. Hmm. And so you see someone go into Walmart and blow people's heads off that didn't happen because Donald Trump. I mean, I'm just going to be honest, right? It didn't happen because of Donald Trump. He's no, been around. 
It's ridiculous when people say that stuff. Yeah, it's insane. Donald Trump, not that long ago, meaning less than 10 years ago, was an absolute loved celebrity. People love that guy. He used to show up at wrestling events and people would go crazy, right? They love Trump. Trump was the man. Mm-hmm. And then he, 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 he's now a, a target of, of hatred or at least a, uh, you know, a mascot, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have created this mascot. But this, this violence that we're seeing, this, these mass shootings, they're not because of the past four years. No. That, that is so short-sighted, man. Like they, the, this is many years, oftentimes hundreds of years of traditions centered around hatred. Mm. That's a huge issue that a lot of people just don't want to face. The fact that things take time to, to come together, right? I mean, we see, we see, I mean, hell, look at health. You know, gut health wasn't even a topic 20 years ago. And now all of a sudden processed food is, is creating gut problems. Well, processed food's been around for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. No, that that's that's heavy. What you just said, there, man. It's a it's a lot to it's a lot to reflect on. It's yeah, it's crazy. So, talk to me about your book, man, because I know we're coming up on on time. Your time's super valuable. I appreciate you spending some of it with us, man. Um, talk to me about the book you're writing. Yeah, sure thing. So, uh, my book is called Strong Advice: Zuby's Guide to Fitness for Everybody. The ebook version came out about three months ago. Um, I'm currently doing the paperback version. I'm doing the pre-orders for that, which are selling really well. I'm doing signed copies of that. So um, yeah, the book is basically a no-nonsense guide to help people build muscle, burn fat, improve their fitness, get stronger, and improve their overall physique and health. Um, like yourself, I'm someone who's been going to the gym and training for, training for a long time, been through a lot of trial and error, tried a lot of nonsense that doesn't work tried some things that do work. So what I wanted to do was just distill it down into a, a, a relatively short book. It's about, um, the paperback's going to be just over 100 pages. Just everything I've learned over the years, everything I think that everybody should know, what, regardless of what your goal is. Um, this is. These are the things that people should know in terms of your mindset and motivation, your nutrition, your training. So um, I've put that together for people. And uh, yeah, it's getting extremely positive reviews getting a lot of nice emails and people tell me about their results and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, that's called Strong Advice. It's uh, available on my website, zubimusic.com, or you can get it straight from my merchandise site, which is teamzuby.com. That's Zuby, Z-U-B-Y. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's what the book is all about. So I, I look forward to getting it out to more and more people. Sweet, man. Yeah, we need more no-nonsense fitness advice. We're, <laughs> we're moving in the wrong direction with fitness as well. That's another issue we didn't even talk about. Like, <laughs> these, these guys, you know, God, had, had they hit the gym once or twice, maybe they wouldn't have this, you know, I joke around, but it's, it's, it's health and wealth go hand in hand. Yeah, I was going to say that has an element of truth in it, man. No, absolutely. I mean, I haven't seen anybody shoot up a school that was jacked. You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah, that's, my, that's, that see something like that. It sounds like a trite statement, but it's not. No, I know. It sounds like I'm an absolute a-hole. Right. But it's like, dude, I'm as a dad, you know, I'm by no means, right. I want to get something clear. And you said it too. We're not experts on this stuff, right? We don't, I don't, I don't sit in the lab every day and analyze, you know, psychopaths. I, I just, I don't, I don't do that. But as a, an aspiring good father who came from a very bad father home, right. A, a horrible father situation. What, what is, you know, I don't have experience being a great dad, right? So like if I'm raising two boys who I prefer not to go blow up a school, mm-hmm. one of the first things I would have them do 
is take care of their bodies. Why? Because the chemicals and the hormones and the things that get influenced by that influence your brain so much. Like I honestly, I look at myself and I go, the only reason I'm where I am right now, and I talk about this in my book, Mm -hmm. is that fitness, fitness saved my my life. Like it honestly did it. It it chartered a course that was in a positive direction Mm -hmm. versus you know, I, I think in an alternative reality, man, I could have be one of those guys, right? I could have hated yeah. the world um, and, and gone and tried to kill people to, to just, you know, to, to, to try to somehow gain some kind of justice for the things that I feel like I was wrong. But, you know, it's like fitness, man, I, it needs to be a, a building block in your life. 100%. Well, it is. I mean, remember what I said about men are always building or destroying. Mm. So you decided to build literally, right? Body building right? Sure. You built, you built your body, you built your health, you built your physique, you built your mental and emotional well-being. All of these things are very tied together. Um, and it also provides a very clear purpose, right? You've got your purpose and then even just hormonally, right? You've got a, you've got a healthy way to channel the aggression, right? Mm-hmm. That aggression, that male aggression and testosterone that could have come out in other negative ways, whether that's fighting other people or, you know, just being destructive in another manner. It's like, no, I'm going to take that out on the weights. I'm going to take that out on the iron. I'm going to build. And, you know, if you're anything like me, I mean, if you don't go to the gym for four or five days, you start getting, you know, your, your temper Mm. gets a bit shorter. You start feeling a little more edgy. You start getting a little bit more aggressive and all that. And I'm always trying to people who aren't into the gym, I'm always trying to kind of sell it to them, you know, just <laughs> and try, it's hard to explain these things, but it's just yeah. like, if you've been doing it for a long time, you just know that feeling that you get. And it's just like, Oh, wow. Okay. Like this is it. It kind of maintains your equilibrium. Absolutely. It, it puts things in perspective, you know, like you don't feel like you, you might walk in the gym feeling super agitated, you know, wanting to let loose on the next person that looks at you the wrong way. But then you leave the gym and you're like, God, what was I even mad about? Yeah. Like, what, what was I even worried about? You know, life goes on. You know, life is going to be great. I feel great. You know, the endorphins, they hit you. It's the best, I, I say, drug in the world of finishing a workout. You know, I don't love running. I, I started running recently because the, the, the end of the run <laughs> is the best feeling in the world. I, I like you, it's like hard to describe until you go out and do it. You know, it's yeah. like, you just feel incredible. Man, I, dude, I really appreciate you coming on my show. Honestly, I would love to chat with you for many hours, um, but out of respect for your time, man, uh, I, I have to let you go. But dude, I, I really, really do appreciate it. You're very insightful, man. And um, like I said, man, <laughs> I'll put an asterisk there because um, <laughs> you're breaking all sorts of records these days. But That's going to be the joke that's going to follow me the rest of my life now. I know, damn, but (laughs) for real, like, look what you've done. (laughs) Hey, man, there could be worse things. That's true. So, hey, where can people connect with you? I know you mentioned a few sites, but just kind of run through them again so people can reach out. No problem at all. So my website is zubimusic.com, and you can follow me on all social media. I definitely recommend Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at zubimusic, Z-U-B-Y music. Awesome. Are you going to tour the U.S. anytime soon? I'm going to be visiting the States in September up until November. I'm not going to be doing live shows because I haven't got the necessary visa for that, but um, I'm going to be doing some big podcasts. Um, I'm booked to be on the Joe Rogan experience, the Rubin report and a whole bunch of others. So I'll be in the States out for a while. So if anyone wants to connect, then get in touch. 
Well, make sure you tell Joe that I had you on my show first. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. Well, hey, well-deserved success. I uh, wish you all the best, man. Uh, and I'm hopefully to catch a show when, once you get the visa handled because that would be awesome. Awesome, bro. I appreciate it. All right, man. Have a great one. You too. Thank you for listening to the True Transformation Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review and subscribe to the show. True Transformation.